today on Ag News Daily. Well, happy Friday, listeners of the Ag News Daily Podcast. This is Tanner Winterhoff, joined via Zoom by Delaney Howell today. How's Delaney doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Tanner? Today is two weeks away till wedding day, actually, so I'm doing great. Really? You're getting married on a Friday? I am. Yeah, it was a little bit unique, I suppose, but we have people flying in and driving in from all over. So yeah, we are. Well, there you go. A unique wedding for a unique person. Thank you. Uh, I'll take that as a compliment. A a perfect fitting. Yes. And uh, I got to say thanks here right away in the beginning, because this is a little bit of a farm for profit takeover on a Friday edition. So looking forward, once we get through the news to a conversation with a fellow co-host of mine but uh got me in a good mood Delaney and I, I thought tell. I'd tell you thought I'd tell you a joke okay is it a dirty you know, joke I, no I, I I scrolled past that one uh <laughs> but I thought Friday was a sad day Delaney but okay. it turns out the next day was a Saturday Haha, ha, that's such a dumb joke, Tanner. I'm so glad that you spent brain power finding this joke for us. Uh, yes, absolutely. And that's the way, listeners, I think news is going to kick off today. But since you've got ample reports, where are you going to start with the news for this Friday episode? Well, I've got some sad news as well, Tanner, and it's not because tomorrow is Saturday. Ice cream consumption in the U.S. is down compared to two decades ago by five pounds per capita. People, we need to get out there and get eating ice cream. Wow. Don't tell my wife. She will <laughs> so, take that mission on solely by herself. If they, yeah, me too. If ice cream forces. Was a food group, yes, that would be her favorite food and could put it in its own food group. But of course, Tanner, the bigger impact there is that that trickles into the dairy industry. So we've got to support our U.S. dairy folks. Yeah, yes, we should. Uh, I got to follow up here real quick hit on our interview yesterday with Eric Snodgrass about weather patterns. For the first time in two years, there are no D3 drought identification areas in the prairies of Canada. So drought in the Canadian prairies is the lowest coverage on the map in over two years. It's been a common theme up there in the Canadian prairies to have a lack of rainfall. They had the 2020 growing season kick off and 2021 was one of the most desperate settings that they had had. Uh, However, a clipper pattern, I think We missed that question with Eric yesterday. We focused a lot here on the Midwest and the United States. Um, But when you look at the drought map for Canada, right above the Dakotas, obviously we know that there was some significant rainfall this spring. And that clipper pattern is set up over the winter and shifted here over the spring for their growing season, almost to a point that heavy rain and snowfall has now caused concerns for flooding. So the drought concerns are eliminated. Now there have some issues with maybe muddy and ponded fields, but the summer pattern is starting to shift again, which may provide relief there. So for our Canadian friends and listeners, sounds like they may be getting a little bit of relief that our uh, American listeners could be jealous of. 
Absolutely, Tanner, but nobody's going to be jealous of this next series of stories that I'm about to talk about here. And they all largely relate to the Russia-Ukraine situation, because as we know, that has reared its ugly head in lots of different facets of agriculture. So let's kick it off here with this first headline, which is the EU is set to adopt its seventh package of sanctions today against Russia, which will add bans to the imports of Russian gold. But it's also going to tweak some restrictive measures that they put on earlier to avoid hampering food exports and to ensure that they can continue to feed EU citizens. So that's going on. We're also seeing the grain markets weighing some heavy news today as they are largely expected or we're largely expected to see some sort of final announcement, final deal reached next week to allow Ukrainian exports out of the Black Sea region. We talked a little bit about this on the podcast earlier this week. And even with the behind enemy lines kind of strike that happened in Ukraine, still a lot of analysts, a lot of folks, and even Russia is indicating to very positive Uh, talks here and that will likely see something come out, an agreement reached on at least that export component next week, Tanner. And then we also, on the flip side of that, have bad news for Ukrainian dairy farmers who fear that they may lose 150,000 cows this year, which is a third of their national herd due to continued bombings and a war going on with Russia. They're also calling on or making the ask from other countries that they urgently need dairy cows to replace the so far 50,000 that have been accounted for as deceased. Uh, They said in terms of monetary value, that's about $80 million. And so that's just one impact, again, that we don't focus on very often because of all of the bigger picture things uh, with grain. And Tanner, here's kind of the bomb of it all, because we've talked about Ukraine, we've talked about Sri Lanka, but there are a lot of countries that are following suit here and seeing some political upheaval and political unrest because of fertilizer issues. So as we know, Sri Lanka, their government has basically collapsed and they've pointed to trying to go 100% organic And the movement largely failed as farmers there in Sri Lanka said that's nearly impossible for us to do. Farmers in the Netherlands are continuing to shut down towns with their tractors because they're protesting a plan passed by the government in late June to reduce agricultural emissions from ammonia and nitrous oxide. And they're saying that the government is doing the wrong thing. Right now, they need fertilizer and they need these products. And the government is doing the exact opposite. We're also seeing a similar uh, protest begin in Canada, Tanner, because Canada's government introduced plans in late 2020 to reduce fertilizer usage. But now, after watching what's going on in Sri Lanka and the Netherlands, Canadians are calling on Uh, citizens to denounce Prime Minister Trudeau's emissions plan, because again, they're saying the world needs more fertilizer right now, not less. And so we're kind of seeing all of these different issues culminate at one time here. Thankfully, we've seen U.S. policy back off from that. But I think the bigger story here is we're very close to, you know, social upheaval and, and just mass chaos worldwide, largely 
due to a lack of fertilizer and lack of availability uh, for folks to be able to produce the crops and food they need to feed their citizens. Yeah, I had seen that last article uh, and it was tough to follow because uh, even though uh, the editor, or I'm sorry, even though the uh, writer of that article was trying to pool a lot of different nations' sentiments together, ultimately circled back to the U.S. stating that uh, not necessarily a warning shot fired for the Canadian mm-hmm. government and, and the United States government, but certainly being heard that um, we all know what is good for the environment. The industry itself is advancing and the consumer demand will drive the focus. The policy can be put in place to an extent, uh, but probably needs extra scrutiny before it goes public. To report out of Illinois, we have talked a lot about price-fixing lawsuits in the meats on the livestock industry side of things. A federal court in Illinois dismissed one of three ethanol market lawsuits against ADM, that's Archer Daniels Midland this week, outlining an order that six ethanol companies in Iowa and Wisconsin were trying to provide the jury to prove antitrust injury. So in November 2020, the producers of ethanol throughout Wisconsin and Iowa presented to the District of Illinois Court in Urbana the lawsuit against ADM saying that they intentionally manipulated and artificially depressed the price of ethanol in the U.S. by targeting ethanol sales activity at the Argo Terminal in Illinois. That terminal is uh, located there for ethanol training with a 30-minute trading window considered crucial because it used it is used to set the Chicago benchmark price for uh, ethanol derivatives. So that court case was dismissed. Again, that's one of three. So just a start there. Um, the lawsuit basically stated that between 2017 and 19, ADM controlled 70% of the Argo terminal market and accounted for 90% of ethanol sold during that critical market window. So Uh, Unfortunately, for those that were in opposition, that case got dismissed this week. I saw that piece of news as well, Tanner. Glad you brought it to the forefront. But switching tracks here just a little bit, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is accepting offers now on more than 3.1 million acres of CRP ground, which is the largest CRP signup that we've seen in the history of the U.S., up 22% nationwide, Tanner. So we're starting to see states like uh, Colorado, South Dakota, and Nebraska have seen some of the highest increases in CRP acres. But as we talk about issues impacting the U.S., the USDA called on producers as a way to protect acres and also as maybe kind of a little bit of a uh, CYA policy because they recognize that things were going to be in flux this year with uh, fertilizer and other input issues. Wow. The interesting part that I discovered in an article here just last minute in relation to Biden administration report that was released on Tuesday is calling for the breach of one or more lower Snake River dams in eastern Washington. So this comes from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration draft that was released on Tuesday. The report looks at the state of science on restoring salmon and steelhead populations in the Columbia River Basin. The large-scale actions are needed to take progress, it states in this report. 
to create healthy and harvestable fish stocks. So it's become overwhelmingly clear, says White House Council and Environmental Quality Chairperson Brenda Malloy, or Mallory, uh, that this will not restore health and abundance of the Pacific Northwest. We need a durable and inclusive regional craft long-term, regionally to craft a long-term strategic plan for the Columbia River Basin. The NOAA draft report recommended the breach of that Snake River Dam, the hydroelectric dam, so energy producing as well, reintroducing fish to those areas of the Columbia River Basin. We know it's going to be difficult and costly, said the NOAA, but the fisheries are the focus. So hard to read through the, or I should say weed through the mud and weeds of this article. Uh, but certainly an interesting piece of news that hasn't come to light before to find out if this is actually going to benefit those ag listeners of ours in that river basin, or if this is uh, going to be more costly to the taxpayers than the benefit that it will provide. Interesting piece of news there, Tanner. I hadn't seen that one. Yes, but that's all I've got for today. How are you coming on news for the rest of this Friday episode? I think that is all I pretty much have as well, Tanner, other than to chat a little bit about markets today, which definitely seeing some volatility and we're seeing a couple of things weigh heavily on grains this morning. Most of all, uh, the speculation that next week we will see Russia and Ukraine reached some sort of agreement to get Russian wheat and other commodities out of the Black Sea region. That's certainly weighing heaviest on wheat this morning, but corn and soybeans are clawing their way to stay in positive territory. December corn's trading about five and a half cents higher as of the open at 606. New crop soybeans up about five cents as well at 1346. Wheat is lower on the day, trading about 11 cents lower in the Chicago Dease contract. And as you take a look at livestock, uh, there is red across the screen in live cattle, feeder cattle, and lean hogs. And the other thing to keep in mind here, which might be a good discussion point for our next Market Monday conversation, Tanner, is the U.S. dollar has been approaching 20-year highs, and at some point, it will take its toll on exports uh, with a combination of high commodity prices and the U.S. dollar strength that will eventually find its way into the export markets as buyers back away from the table. Yeah, that will certainly be something that we should cover with Tommy Grisafi, who's scheduled to be on our Market Monday episode. So thanks for covering the markets today. Listeners, thanks for joining us on this Friday episode of Ag News Daily. But before you go, let's get a land market update from a fellow co-host of mine, Dave Whitaker. Hey, listeners, we have a fantastic Farm for Profit Friday Takeover interview. We have the pleasure of having Mr. David Whitaker, eight-time champion auctioneer, known as the farmland guy on today to talk about land markets. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's, uh, let's start off, give the listeners a little bit of background. What do you do in the land and real estate world as it relates to farmland? So our primary focus uh, is uh, auctions and real estate, uh, selling farmland uh, across the state of Iowa and across the Midwest. 
primarily uh, tillable soil, sometimes into the recreational ground, and sometimes even into uh, acreages with uh, residents on them. So, uh, but but farmland that is tillable and and income producing uh, farmland is our number one asset that we sell. And Dave, as Tanner so nicely pointed out, you're also an auctioneer. Did you just wake up one day and think, I'm going to become an auctioneer and go to auctioneer school? Something like that. No, <laughs> I worked a previous career and and uh, I uh, talk a lot and a uh, little high energy and uh, <laughs> some people would even say ADD. So I thought, you know what, doggone it, I'm going to I'm going to go find a career that uh, people enjoy the energy and enjoy the talking fast. So if you Google that, you'll come up with auctioneer and uh, went to school, came out, ended up uh, uh, being pretty good at it. And uh, then I come to find out later. So I just went into it wanting to talk fast. And then I realized it's a two hundred and seventy billion dollar industry. Uh, a lot of asset is sold at auction and it can make a heck of a business. So then I decided to keep progressing forward and, and here we are. So you focus a lot on the state of Iowa for your farm sales, the actual sales that you conduct. But I know that you keep track of the Midwest. Let's start off in the state of Iowa. What have you been seeing lately in regards to farmland values and farmland sales? Sure. Well, a uh, couple couple key points uh, would be there, there's two main surveys that are out there that kind of keep track of uh, farmland in the, the Midwest. Uh, one is uh, the Realtor Land Institute. So it's a group of guys that get together and just talk about farmland, where, where it is, where it's going. Um, and I'm the vice, or not the vice president, president-elect this year for that. And so they do a survey every six months and they have the market up uh, 30%. So 30% of what it was six months ago. So they do one in March and one in September. The other main uh, avenue that a lot of people look to as a resource is Iowa State, uh, Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa here. And uh, Wen Dong is the guy who leads the study at Iowa State for land values. And they had, it, uh, they had our recent last six months up 29%. So um, realize that both of, these, both of these studies that they do are surveys. And so they survey uh, people who are in the industry that are watching, just like we're talking today, that are watching land values to say, hey, what's your opinion? How far did we go up? And so the opinion is that we're up, oh, roughly 30%. Now, I, I try and track all the data of every sale that I can find. I work with appraisers to try and track every sale of every auction company, mine and the, the 50 other companies across the state of Iowa. And I have the actual hard data of what, uh, what farmland has brought uh, pretty much up to date month to month. And uh, I have us up about 33%. So when you ask where we're up, we're somewhere in that 30% uh, range from six months ago. So what does that mean? Or what does it look like if you didn't know what six months ago looked like? Uh, a year ago today, the average in Iowa would have been around uh, $9,000 an acre. So this is all kinds of ground, Tanner and Delaney. This is uh, uh, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the, the recreational, the tillable, the, the, the best ground uh, in Iowa. Now today, uh, as of uh, the last day of June, first day of July is the data that I have, which suggests that our average for 2022 is $12,059 per acre. And so that's the average of all the farm ground across Iowa. 
I kind of break it down a little harder, guys, and, and put it into uh, uh, CSR scores, and I can talk further on that if you'd like. So, Dave, I know that you've been also, let's talk state of Iowa here, had a lot of recent auctions. Is the trend still pointing that farmland values are going to remain at these elevated levels? Or do you think we're starting to see the start of land prices come back down? Million dollar loaded question there. <laughs> and I wish I had a crystal ball to tell you that, uh, uh, oh, I guarantee you, I, I guarantee this or that. But what I do like to do is give an opinion. So I'll give my opinion, and that's all it is, listeners. It's one guy's opinion. And I'm bullish. I think the market is going to stay strong, maybe until about mid-2023. And uh, there's so many factors that go into farmland. But what the trend is, is still trending upward. Even last month, this is something you don't see in the Des Moines Register every day, but there was five new county records set last month for highest land price in that county. So when you ask, are we going backwards? I know the commentary of every farmer out there is we can't sustain this. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's, 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 uh, it's the 80s that we're going to go backwards. But the data would suggest we're going the other way, actually. Uh, we had the highest for this year, uh, highest in the last year, uh, average last month. So we sold 1,800 acres last month. And in the 1,800 or 18,000, apologize for that, 18,000 acres, 170 auctions we had last month, and the average of that was 14,900 an acre. So of 18,000 acres that are selling, we have an average of $14,000 an acre. That's phenomenal. We're still trending upwards. Wow. I knew it was strong. I didn't realize it was trending in that fashion. So now that poses the question, Who's selling and who's buying? Great question. And that's that's a changing demographic uh, all day. But the, the sellers, when you hear prices like that, and you hear guys uh, say that uh, prices are stronger than I've seen them in my career, uh, everybody who ever thought about selling farmland wants to sell. But typically, my archetype of customer is um, four or five different kids that inherited ground, grandma, grandpa passed away. Uh, they inherited ground and they read somewhere or saw on the news or needed to get a appraisal done for what the value was at the date of death. And that's when they find out, hey, that ground's worth $4 million. Wow, that's crazy. Hey guys, maybe we should sell. And so then they start approaching the process of what it would look like to sell because it's a whole lot easier to divide uh, dollar bills than it is to divide uh, uh, acres. So, hey, we own 300 acres. I sold one last Tuesday. They own 350 acres, a couple different kids involved. Well, which part is yours and which part is mine? And which is my sister's? Which is my brother's? Uh, hey, tell you what, let's split the dollars. So then they end up selling it. So that's probably the number one person that's selling across the state is uh, kids of um, – maybe Korean War era people that have passed away and now the baby boomers are inheriting or even to the next geners, the 40 to 50 year olds, they're inheriting it and they're paying off their house. They're reinvesting. They're putting it wherever they, you know, wherever they decide to move their money. Some are reinvesting in farmland. So that's who's selling. Um, there are other people selling that are um, farmers, current farmers that are trying to switch ground. So they're, they're trying to get something closer to home. An auction comes up because that ground has never been for sale. 
and they want to buy that, but they need to sell another asset to be able to afford it. So you'll see some land swapping here. Now who's buying, I just indicated one of them, is the guys that are swapping land. It's just closer to home. So local farmers, uh, man, that farm hasn't been for sale for a hundred years. I'd love to buy that farm. But there are, there are a couple other demographics that are coming into the market. Um, one that you're probably thinking is investor. And I always ask the question, what's an investor? Is an investor a farmer that owns 10,000 acres and just has capital? Maybe family farm, four or five generations help on the farm. Is an investor the guy that we think of Wall Street uh, that's, uh, you know, somewhere in Kentucky, New York, uh, North Carolina that just wants to invest money? We do have a uh, increasing number of investors coming to the market. And right now we're about 20 to 25 percent and probably rising of the people that are coming to the market as the investor type. They're trying to move their money from the stock market, which I think this first half of the year has been about the worst stock market we've seen. And they're trying to move their money into a hard asset. Doesn't have near the rate of return, but long-term, uh, most in, in, in about a 15-year spread, farmland has about a 12% rate of return. So Dave, I think the other million dollar question is to know when to enter and exit the market. So on both sides of it is, what advice do you have for people looking to buy farmland is now a good time or on the flip side, should we be looking to sell if that's something that we're wanting to do a 1031 exchange to buy a different piece of ground? Great question. Uh, the old adage is don't wait to buy land, buy land and wait. <laughs> so if you have a 12% return, uh, if you have long-term land is a long-term uh, holding investment. So if you have the long-term uh, time to wait for your investment, uh, I'd, I'd be a buyer. I'd be a buyer even at high prices because, uh, as lots of people have said, they're not making any more of it. Do we get out? It, it, it really goes uh, to what my mission statement is at our company, and that is uh, to market your asset to the largest audience, yielding you the most successful outcome. So the second part of that, yielding you the most successful outcome. So when somebody would ask me that question, should we sell? Should we Should we buy? what's the most successful outcome for you? And so uh, I have folks, like I sold for this week, uh, family members, uh, They one, one of the family members wanted to sell, the other two did not. And so what was the most successful outcome for them? And in, in their case, to keep the family ties together, they decided to sell. And then two of the brothers, they're actually going to reinvest and buy more farmland. So you get both sides of it. They're actually buyers and sellers. And then the one sister, she wanted out. So she's going to take her money, uh, help pay off some debt, be able to retire. Um, so I, I would answer that with a, a, a question to the person who's making the decision. What's the most successful outcome for you? Is your long-term goal to keep farming and have generational wealth to pass on? Then I'd be a buyer. Otherwise, uh, you know, take, take, it, take it with a grain of salt. Well, Dave, thank you so much for sharing your insight with us today. Uh, let's do a little bit of shameless plugging here at the end of this interview. What's a good way for people to find you if they're interested in selling or buying ground? And uh, also, how can they find the podcast that you also co-host over there on Farm for Profit? Sure. So you can uh, find me. Uh, easiest way is actually a phone call. Um, the phone call is great for me, and it's 515-996-LAND. 5263 would be the acronym. Again, that's 515-996-LAND. 
Uh, you can also find me on all social media profiles. You can reach out there. I'm Farmland Guy. Uh, just uh, look for uh, the username Farmland Guy. And then, uh, of course, uh, Tanner, uh, we have Farm for Profit podcast where we talk about uh, farmers being profitable. Uh, we're about three years running on that podcast, and uh, uh, we have a, a great time. And so that's Farm for the number four profit. Um, and you can check that out on anywhere you can find podcasts, Farm for Profit. Awesome, Dave. We appreciate you jumping in and taking over, as we said, a little Farm for Profit Friday takeover of the Ag News Daily podcast. So thanks for joining us and I have you, have, hope you have a good rest of your Friday and a good weekend. You bet. Thanks for the question. Thanks for having me. Dwayne, thank you so much for kind of letting Farm for Profit take over this Friday Ag News Daily edition. Hopefully you had just as much fun as I did. Hey, I liked it. I would be happy to relinquish the reins anytime. <laughs> careful, careful. Oh, maybe, okay, maybe I should back back a little away from that. <laughs> oh, no, this is great, but I say that's enough for today. So what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.